Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, risk and return, and uh, I will take you through this uh, bond, what I had not finished up from the last lecture, I will get done today. Uh, and I can do that two ways. I can do it in a very difficult, complicated way, or I can do it in Excel, and it will take about 10 minutes. If you do it the complicated way with formulas and little baby Excel, it can take about an hour to do a problem. The way I can show you how to do it, I've got a template. If you'd like to see it that way, just let me know. Whichever way you wish to have it done. I'm going to walk up here and close this window. Some room there's some left open. Shine right in the, on the board. Um, before I do that, I should point out what happened. Uh, I will open up the answer key for the uh, midterm exam, which should be... Forgive me for that. Which should be uh, probably tomorrow night. I have two excused absences that still have to take it. The average was a 76. The median was a 78.5 on it, which is decent. Now, I'm not finished yet with it. I have to go through one by one and give partial credit. Canvas is an abomination hated by God. You cannot just say, do this. It says, no, I'm too good for that kind of stuff. Even VeggieNet, you could do that. You could say, okay. Or you could take a problem. It was one, I couldn't figure out why Canvas said the answer was 30.22, but that wasn't right. It was, the answer was a little more than that. And I thought, well, what did it do? Oh, it did a calculation. I never thought about that mistake. So I had to go back, and anyone who put 30.22, I have to fix that. Give them some extra credit, give them some partial credit for it. And there were a couple of others. Some people accidentally, sometimes if you see something that looks like you meant to give the right answer, like for example, put a decimal instead of a comma. Yeah, it marks it wrong. And uh, I saw, I caught five where two numbers were transposed. And I'm pretty sure you just got the same brain fart that I do. So I gave the credit for those. That's what I'm going through one by one <laughs> for about 400 exams. And uh, if anything will make you become a Satan worshiper, that will. I <laughs> guarantee you. But it's, it's just a long, grueling process. Just go through all the exams and see, okay. I got, I see you came close to the right answer. You were just outside of the bounds. Partial credit for that and all that. So it takes a while. I'll probably finish up tonight unless my cats want my attention and then not. But uh, it's all good. Now, another thing. Did you notice that Cengage gave you a present? It gave you a 40 out of 40 for the homework in Chapter 7? You know what? 
<laughs> I just, just take the seven, uh, 40 out of 40, but you still got to make sure you know how to do those. So go in and just work on the homework. You've got your highest scores of 40, so whatever you do, it doesn't matter. You'll still get the 40, but Cengage, it just, I don't know, it, I think Cengage likes you or something. <laughs> I, I, people were saying, I, I'm doing it, but I already got a 40 out of 40. I, I'm thinking, you are on, you've had too much weed today. No, and then I go in and, oh well. You know, I, I, you get your 40. Okay, let's look at the numbers. There, it's, the odd part is that I've got uh, people on Wall Street and, and in Chicago, my former students and others that I know through my contacts, they're talking about some kind of a financial apocalypse coming. It's here, it's, it's right here, look at this, look at these numbers, you know, this is the end of the world. And the market just keeps, you know, it's a bull day. You know, it wasn't anything spectacular. It had a, you notice that all of the indices had a run up in the first few trading hours, and then it kind of flattened out because it was some good news came in, and the markets went up, and then they kind of flattened out. But there wasn't any apocalypse. The way I got these messages early this morning on LinkedIn and on text messages, today was the day the end of the world came, and it didn't. So there's that. Maybe it'll come tomorrow. I don't know. But um, it was a good, decent day on the street. Uh, <clears throat> overall, prices went up. As you can see, the Dow was up almost 1%. S&P 500 up a little more. And the NASDAQ up even more than that. So there you go. That's the typical kind of day. Now, crude is working, its, working hard to stay in its trading range here. So uh, it's in the uh, 82 to 88 or so. It's just kind of bouncing around there. See how it tried to test upward toward the 88, and then it just chickened out and came back down below it there. That's the good evidence that it is really a resistance level at 88. It punched through a few months ago, got a nosebleed up there, came back down, can't find its way back up above it. So that's good news. Gas prices are pretty decent right now. Supply of gasoline in the uh, pipeline is uh, really decent right now. So you'll probably see prices staying around where they are around right here, about 3.39 a gallon or something like that. So. Nothing big right now. Uh, gold, it's made it back up into the one uh, in the 1900s, lower 1900s per ounce, but it's still not near 200 to um, 2,000. And you notice that it dipped down, and then it, there was a rally of the gold bugs, and then that's sort of fizzling out here in the last trading hour or so. Now the euro is appreciating against the dollar. It's nothing spectacular at all. So the dollar is depreciating against the euro, but it's not a major appreciation at all. We're still at 105.55, and so it's, it's still trying to play around the parity at one to one. And the London went up to some, uh, rather uh, British pound went up. Now bond, bond prices went up, yields went down. That is interesting because that means that there is buying in the bond market. And oddly enough, there's buying in the equities too. So that 
sort of over, that's a broad-based rally. Bulls in the equities, bulls in the bonds. So that's, I don't know how that apocalypse is going to happen tomorrow, but who am I to argue with the, the experts? Uh, London had a kind of a choppy day. It did a little bit of a jump there at the end, and then it fizzled out. Nikkei just started out down, just sort of snorted its way down. That's actually a pretty darn difficult, uh, a good drop to more than 2% down on the Nikkei. So apparently something is happening over there in Asia. Now, the politics of the day. Wars and rumors of wars, that can suppress markets, but not always. Rumors of war can rattle markets, but they can also stimulate markets as well. Wars tend to, uh, to some extent, increased production, more employment, more government spending to support a war effort. We're not anywhere near close to a war here in the United States, but the political instabilities in other places in the world can make us wonder if this is the beginning of what will eventually become a world war or certainly a regional conflict. Doesn't seem to be rattling the markets at all. I'm almost wondering if all those people talking about the apocalypse are just thinking there's going to be some kind of global war and that'll kill the markets. Not going to happen today, probably not tomorrow either. So go ahead, buy some cheeseburgers, have some pizza, and enjoy your life because it's, it's just another day on the market and it's a darn good day too. Mm. Just by the way, uh, just as they mentioned, and again, don't ever follow my investments. QQQs are NASD, and this is these are actually indexes of clumps of Nasdaq stocks. Now you can't buy the whole Nasdaq. I don't think there's any ETF that takes the whole thing, but the different QQQs. There's QQQE, QQQW, I think, and some other ones. They are chunks of different parts of the uh, many company industries that are represented in the NASDAQ. And as you can see, it was up a good strong percentage. Interestingly enough, it was up just about the same as the NASDAQ itself. So this is basically a tracking portfolio. If you're bullish on the uh, small caps, this is the kind of thing that you would probably want to do if you want to have a nice, well-balanced portfolio. If you want to get a little bit riskier, you step into some of these that are more are leveraged. In other words, they take a portfolio and then they add to it a higher risk version of the portfolio. So you magnify upswings, but you also magnify downswings. So this one isn't magnified at all, QQQE, I don't think it is. So you'll see NASDAQ goes up, QQQE goes up about the same amount. You can do the same with S&P 500. I think there are a couple of Dow's, so I never look at those, but there are all kinds of those kind of indexes out there that can give you a shot at a good, broad, well-balanced portfolio managed by professionals. Let me show you real quick here. And again, don't do this one just because I'm doing it. It's, that's the way you could become as, as poor and ugly as I am. Uh, notice P.E. ratio a little undervalued. They have P.E. ratios just like anything else does as long as they're profitable. 
Beta is a little bit riskier than the market portfolio. It's the NASDAQ, of course. So it's going to be riskier than 1.00. And where's the expense? The expense ratio is pretty, pretty cheap, 0.35. Like I said, I try to keep 0.3 or something like that as about my boundary. But some of them are a little more expensive than that, as long as you're not up there with those 1% and 2% expense ratios. So that gives you an idea of what you can look at if you're considering, I've got some money. Okay, good. You've got $50 a month, then just buy into one of these. Got 100 or whatever. Whenever you've got some money that, uh, that you don't want to spend on something, put it in here over a period of, of not that many years. You're going to have a lot of money in one of your portfolios just by just discipline putting in a little bit every week or every month. It's money that you don't spend, you don't touch it, you just let it grow. And someday you have enough to buy a car or to put a decent down payment on a home. And that's one of the more practical things that we can do here. I'm going to show you something here. Bear with me. This is fall. Now, in math of bonds, you have two pieces of information that one of which you'll have, the other you won't have. Now, if you've got a bond, you're going to the characteristic parameters of a bond are the face value. You'll hear me call that face. Now, that is $1,000. Now, just to go into Excel for a second here, you'll see one of the little templates. I've got a two, temp two templates right on one sheet. One of them, it says on the 100. So everything you put in there should be divided by, a divided by 10 because the prices are on the 1,000. But the quotes can be on the 100 and Excel insists on it. You'll see what I mean in one template. That's a face value that you need, and it's going to be $1,000 or $100. Or the next thing that you're going to want is the coupon or the coupon rate. Technically, the coupon is the dollar amount. Let's say that this is a 5.75% coupon. That means that the coupon itself is a thousand times <coughs> 5.75%, which would be $57.50 per year. Now, if you want to get technical, coupons are paid twice a year. Uh, I mean, the difference if you use the year and the half year on the results is minimal and you can do it if you want I'll make sure that on a quiz or a test you can do you can get use either one and you'll get the right answer you'll see about this in a minute so in other words per year or that would be 57.50 uh, why did I do this to myself 2875 is that right? Yeah, that's right. Per six months. 
if you buy a bond, you'll get uh, it on the half year. Now, once you get back there, the year of maturity. Let's say it's 2034. Now, Excel gets really picky about this on that one template. It wants the date that the bond matures. Well, is that in November? Is it April? What day in April or November? I mean, for most purposes and for my purposes, just say it's the same day in, in 2024 as it is today. So if the date then was October the 16th, 2034, then that, if today is October the 24th, 20, October the 16th, 2023, then the maturity date would be the same day in uh, 2034. And um, unfortunately, Excel also in that same weird formula, but you don't have to worry about the formula, you just have to put in the numbers, the settlement date. Now for our purposes here, the settlement date will be the same day this year. It'll be a lot more clear when I show you on the templates what this is. Now here is the pair that I was talking about. Price and yield. Now the price is a th on the thousand. But they might ask that one sheet wants it on the hundred. And I make it clear in there. Do it on the hundred, if that's it. Now the yield, the yield, another term for that is the required rate of return. It's what the market wants the coupon to be. The coupon is what it is. It's set at the beginning. But the market could say, well, that coupon sucks. Or the market could say that coupon is great. But it just sort of sits there. So we'll do the settlement date is in 2023. And you will know one of these. And you calculate the other. You'll know the price, find the yield. Or you'll know the yield, and you'll find the price. Now, there are technically two yields. The yield to maturity. That's when it finishes. But there's another one too that you could use sometimes called the yield to call. That's the year when the bond could be called. So there might be a call that could trigger in 2028. So if you need a yield to call, you would replace the yield to maturity the, the, with the yield to call. I'll show you. It, it looks a lot. Let's try. Let's say that the yield to maturity on this bond is 6.15%. The market wants a coupon of 6.15%. The bond actually pays only 5.75%. So this bond should sell at a discount 
to par. If the yield is greater than the coupon, the, pot, the bond will sell at a discount to par. Par value is a thousand. Another way of saying that is the price is less than a thousand dollars. If the yield is below the coupon, in other words, the market doesn't want, doesn't need that big a coupon, then the bond will sell at a premium to par. In other words, the price will be above a thousand. Now, this isn't anything, it's not, don't make it difficult because you're going to be able to see it for yourself. You can just put in numbers into the template and there's your Uncle Bob. Now what I'm going to do here is I'm going to pull up a student view of the X of your files and let you see this there. Canvas, login, In your FIL 240 folder, you should see, why do I, they put my stupid ass face on every announcement? <laughs> no, seriously, that's embarrassing. Why can't they put something nice on there? You know, Brad Pitt. Yeah, that would be, yeah, there's your professor. No, anyway, files. Really? Where the hell is it? Oh, I was just testing you to see if you were watching. Oh, I don't even have COVID and I have COVID fog. Okay, bond calculations, okay? Just download it. You know, someday you'll be able to go back through and look at your Excel files and you can just relive the dream or not. Okay, let's start out with one where the yield to maturity. This is to calculate the bond price. See, I don't have the price, I have the yield. So I'll calculate a bond price. So the annual coupon, where the hell is, oh, 5.75. Now notice that everything is formatted for you. Okay. Whoops. Oh. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have the yield. Okay. The yield to maturity is 6.15. Now, the year of maturity right here. Oh, I've got. I did it 2034. Now this side, the left side template, is super easy. It's not, there's nothing to it. Notice this word here, term. Term is how long the bond has left in its life. It calculates automatically. See if I put 20 
36, it just calculates it for you. I do that because I am terrible sometimes at counting the number of years. I don't know what it is. Some people can do it off the top of their heads. I can't. Now, the number of coupons. You could put one, one coupon a year, or you can do the two. Now, your homework in Cengage starts you out with one, and then they do a couple with two. It's, it doesn't hurt to practice it either way. As you can see, with one coupon a year, sure enough, the bond sells at a discount to par because the yield was above the coupon. <coughs> now watch what happens if I change it to two a year. It changes the price a little bit, but not much at all. <laughs> Hardly at all. I mean, if the coupon, if there is a long time to maturity, a lot of years, it can have a little bit more of an effect. And if the spread between coupon and yield are, is really dramatic, yeah, that can have an effect too. But for the most part, see, it just doesn't really matter too much to the calculation. And so, now watch this. Suppose that I put the yield below the coupon. Watch what would happen. And let's say that the market says, this bond doesn't need to pay more than 5.45%, which is below the coupon. Well, spank me. Look at that. It sells at a premium. You can just work it back and forth, and you can just see what the coupon, what the yield and the coupon do to, call, to affect the price. It's, it's not, this part isn't bad at all. The other part isn't terrible but you just have to do a few more things in it. And I've tried to make it as straightforward as possible. Let's say that we have, we need to calculate a bond yield. Suppose that in this one, we have a price, let's say, of All with me. Now, the settlement, I have made it so that it's today. You don't even need to touch it. Now, if they give you a settlement, then you won't just override my formula. Just type in. And type it in in this format. Month slash day slash year. If you get one where the settlement is somewhere else. Now the maturity, that's just going to be the term years later. Same date, that many years later. Those are the two numbers that you will probably, you'll put those in. Well actually, only the maturity, the settlement in a, in a normal problem. The settlement is the day that you buy it. And we usually, unless we're trying to be real jerks about it, we make the uh, maturity just that many years later, the term years later. Now the annual coupon. Redemption is on the hundred. So over there, I put a thousand. Over here, you would put a hundred. Number of coupons, one or two, 
not going to really affect it too much. And the quote, that is on the hundred. So it's not $964.75. It's $96.475. It's one-tenth of that. Now, you could do it this way, too. I didn't even think about that for a second. You could just say equals 964.75 divided by 10. Save you having to do a calculation. And there's your yield to maturity. Notice that, again, this bond here sold at a discount to par, below a thousand. So that would mean that the yield had to be bigger than the coupon, and sure enough, the yield is 6.10% against the coupon of 5.65%. Uh, Just practice it. I mean, don't ever save over the original template, obviously, no matter what you do. But just keep playing numbers in there. Try some things, see if you can do a formula, some trick that I haven't done. But I've got an example in here that you can use if you want. Now one more. Suppose that we had a price. Let's say the price was $1,085.20. Now that is a premium to par. So that means, because it's bigger than a thousand, so that means the yield should show up below the coupon. So if we do that, let me put a quote in there, equals 1085 slash 10. It's always, the quote is one-tenth of the price. See what happens. Well, sure enough, look at that. Coupon is bigger than the yield. That kind of gives you an idea you've got the right answer. You're using Excel and the results are coming out the way they should. You follow me on it? You do it this way and it is not painful at all. The financial calculators like TI-83 finance apps can do kind of these tricks too. It's not as clean as it is with Excel. You got the templates, it, it's just smooth. Now in the next quiz, I'll give you one of each of these. You should be able to nail both of them, just have your Excel sheet up and you've got it good. Trust me on this. Back in the day when we didn't have any calculators, this was a real pain in the ass to do. But now, at least you've got Excel, and it does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. So that's in your spreadsheets and your files. And no, I'm not going to save it, because that's the thing, is just avoid saving the thing. Just always keep your original template in, uh, clean for yourself. Leave student view. That's about the extent of it. I'll show you one more thing.
when bonds are quoted, when bonds are quoted, they are quoted at what's called a clean price. In other words, that 1,085.20, that's a clean price. That's what the broker will tell you. That's what you'll see on the ticker screens and all that. There's a price that actually is what you will pay. It's called the dirty price. You see, in reality, bonds are paid every six months. So you bought here. Uh, wait. This a coupon was paid. And then six months later, another coupon is paid. But you don't probably buy, well, the coupon just got paid. I better buy it today. You just buy it. So what happens is that you bought the bond from someone who was selling it in the secondary market. Sometime along the way between two coupons. Well, there's a problem there. Because let's say that you bought it two months in. Well, no, no, let's do it this way. You bought it 40 days after the last coupon had been paid. Now there's 180 days here. So whoever sold it to you actually owns the part of the interest that was 40 days out of the 180. You owe it to him. So the dirty price is going to include what he gets of it. So what he gets of it is the coupon amount times 40 days of the 180. In other words, it's what we call prorating. So let's say that the coupon was uh, $28.75 for six months. That was his coupon. One check would be that much. So he actually owns $28.75 times 40 over 180. So if I were to pull that off, let me get this off here. Let me pull a little calculator, a quick dirty calculator here. $28.75 times 40 divided by 180. So you actually owe not the price. You're not going to pay just the clean price that you're quoted. You're going to pay that price plus $6.39. So you will pay the clean price plus that. 
People who are not too experienced with buying bonds, they buy them. And then they have this fit. What's this little fee in here? Well, that's not a fee. That is a part of the coupon that was earned during your previous owner's hold period. See, he got the $28.75 coupon there at the beginning of the coupon cycle. But then 40 days of the next coupon was his. So he gets 40 of the 180 that came, uh, that accrued while he was still the owner of it. And that's called the dirty price. The dirty is what you'll see. And like I said, uh, uh, bond investors who aren't too experienced will see that extra fee. What do you mean? I, you told me the price was this. <coughs> What's this little extra charge on here? That's what he, uh, the, someone sold you that bond, so you have to pay that. Now notice the longer that you put off deciding you're going to buy the bond, every day that prorated amount increases. You buy it at day 41, it's a little more. You wait until day 60, it's a little more. So one of the things that you probably want to do, well, some people do it, not much logic in it, but they will wait and buy very soon after a coupon has been paid so they, that the dirty is very close to the clean. In other words, there hasn't been much of the next coupon accrued by the current owner before you buy it from him or her. The thing about it is all this was more painful in the days before Excel and calculators. Now it's not too bad to do it. Just don't forget, if I say a dirty, I would also have to give you how many days it was since the last coupon was paid. Something like that. That's enough of that subject. It is time now to go to risk and return. And I've talked about risk before, and I've given you some discussion of it, but now we're going to formally attack it. And as I had already described once before, risk just it basically means the variety of possible outcomes, how many and how different they are. Now, I, I'm going to ask someone to do me a little bit of a favor here. Here. Now you're going to have to come out here to do this. God! I mean, damn, you know? You know, there's a walkway there. You could tear something you'll care about later in your life. Okay, now I want you to point right here and fire it. Ew. How long did that water... Oh, since the last time I did this, two semesters ago. Okay. You notice there's, the outcomes were right around here. Now, I want you to do it again. How much risk, right? 
后。Okay, now do it again. Again. A little more in the face. Oh! Do you see what's happening? The variety of outcomes is getting greater and greater. There's more risk to me that he will get this into my very well-trimmed beard, which I use a cream of mustache and beard oil on. One more time. Yep, into the beard. Thank you. Now, risk and return. The variety of outcomes, you see that there were more outcomes, that creates greater risk. If you know that I am going to give you a B in the class, there's no risk to you. But if you, I say, okay, it could be between a C and an A, then there is more risk, you are more at risk. I can increase it to from an F to an A, there is even worse risk than there was before. That's just the way life is. As more outcomes show up, and the variety, how different they are, the greater the risk that's going to uh, occur. But risk doesn't live on its own. No one takes a risk for nothing. Even those idiots on YouTube who do terrible things to themselves. They are doing it for a purpose. They're taking great risk for the purpose of getting, uh, if they're monetizing, they get money from it. If they're just looking for cred, they're doing that, but they are not doing it just because they feel like doing it. Uh, well, some people do. I've, we've all met someone who qualifies, as the clinical term for it is crazy mofo. But aside from that, we all want more reward. We may not get it, but we expect a greater reward for taking a greater risk. There was a YouTube video. There's a prankster. He was monetizing unbelievably by just harassing people. He got shot. Well, he didn't see that coming, so but he had no expectation of that. So risk doesn't have to be fully understood. And that's one of the d dimensions of risk, is information. The more information you have, more, most likely, the less uh, risk that you're, you're going to have. Because you know the possible outcomes that can happen, and you probably will avoid them. However, here's the thing. First of all, the greater the risk, the greater must be the, ex the return. That's our first pass, but that's not correct. We've just pointed out the greater the risk, the greater the expected return.
It's not the return. There's no guarantee that you take greater risk, you're going to get a greater return. But there is a greater expect, expected return if you take a greater risk. That's a more reasonable way to describe it. But there's even one more dimension to it. There is risk that is total. The total risk of doing something. But then there is a kind of risk that is inside. There are two risks inside of that. There is the total risk. A popular term now is stand-alone risk. That one's showing up in the last decade or so. In other words, on its own, taking nothing else into consideration, there's a total risk. We typically will measure that by the standard deviation. That one that you learned in your statistic or statistics class. Standard deviation. It's the one that is often used in science and in population studies. Um, sample standard deviation or the population standard deviation. Now, typically what we will use is the sample standard deviation. And you probably remember the formula, and I'll bring that up next time. However, we in, in mostly in finance, we will use the sample standard deviation. Now, in Excel, that just is equals STDEV. That will be the standard sample standard deviation. Just equals STDEV open parenthesis. Mm -hmm. If you want a population standard deviation, you have to put a dot P, STDEV dot P, to get the population. Mm -hmm. Almost never in experimental or observational science, which is what we do in finance, is are, will you have the total population. If I took the weight of everyone in this classroom and calculated the standard deviation, that would be a sample standard deviation because you are not every person in the world. But it, you would be getting, it's a sample. So, anyway, that's sigma. Within sigma are two pieces. There is a piece that belongs to the crowd. And there is a piece that belongs only to what you are looking at. Well, look at you, Matt. You, I, I, I was looking and watching your behavior, pretty much like everyone else's. But I noticed that there's this part of you that goes out and you are a serial killer. I mean, it doesn't happen often, not often enough, I mean, but it doesn't happen very often, but it's there. 
But you don't do that when you're in that giant crowd. We don't see it, but it's still there. You're still looking at this guy. And you're thinking to yourself, soon. <laughs> see, it's there. In, a, in us, any single, single thing that you observe is hiding that piece that belongs only to that company or to that person or to that group, that subgroup. For example, you look at the performance of Tesla and to, you collect the data, price behavior of it, up and down, up and down, and you don't see that part that is hiding in there, the unusualness of the management. The guy at the top, who's, who's a pothead, uh, you don't see it. Microsoft, for example, it has a standard deviation of returns. And it is pretty, you know, boom, 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 boom. But you don't see the part that is just Microsoft. They're hidden in there. There's a part that is being swung by the world itself. But then there's a part that is only Microsoft doing something within that group, within that portfolio. That's a part that we call not, that was actually kind of, non-systemic. It's not in the system. It's in that one thing. The part that is being pulled up and down we call systematic. It's part of the system. Um, you, sir, you woke up this morning with a big nodule. We can take that out, okay? But suppose that it turns out that you come from a tribe called the nodule people. Well, that would be system systemic. I can't cut it out. But the ones on the surface, I go, here, hold still, I got some scissors. You understand? There's a part that is non-systemic, not part of your system, or non-systematic, they call it sometimes. But then there's a the part that's in you. It just inheres to you and to your, all of your people. That part I can't get rid of. That's you. That, that's just something we can't get rid of. With stocks, individual stocks, they have that non-systemic part shining. You don't see it. It's not, hey, here's the non-systematic part flopping around. You don't see it, but it's there. If you put Microsoft in with a bunch of other stocks that have their own peculiarities, they begin to cancel each other out. This is how healthcare insurance works. Any individual has all kinds of risks. Probably you more than many others. But when I put you in with another group, when you are having illnesses, all these other people aren't. And when you start growing nodules, yeah, you. <laughs> Surely you just, fat boy, slap. <laughs> yeah, 
but you see, that's the thing though, is that you cancel each other out. And that's one of the funniest thing about the way, it, in, even to this day to some extent, but back in the day, you'd have these insurance companies that would exclude certain groups. Well, they were the stupidest people in the world for doing that because what they were doing is they, were, they thought, well, we just won't take that risk. What they were really doing is, we're not going to take that part of the risk that would cancel out our favored group's problems. That's uh, just the way it works. Well, we'll discriminate against these kinds of people. We just don't want them in our workplace. Oh, really? Well, what you're going to do is magnify the problems of the subpopulation that you are insuring because you don't have anything that will cancel them out whatsoever. And you hear this in so many ways, and we have collected a lot of data showing that when you start discriminating, we take only this kind of people, what you do is you are promising yourself that whatever are the problems, health problems of that group you favor, they're going to come through shining. They're going to magnify each other. They have high correlation with each other. That's the whole key, and I'll show you this on Wednesday. When we're looking at stocks, we don't really look at how they bounce up and down by themselves. We look at how they correlate with each other. If they have low correlation with each other, each one of them might be pretty volatile. But when you put those two together, they silence each other. It turns out that you, madam, you are an arsonist. And you are a bank robber. So, when she is out doing the wild thing, you know, you know, offing people, you two, oh hell, I ain't gonna do that, I'll just rob a bank. And when you are robbing a bank, she's not doing anything and you're not doing anything. But then when you start your, you know, ooh, fire. <laughs> They're not doing anything. Do you see how they're going to dampen their correlation? Now, once in a while, you might be in a bank. Hmm, I'll set this bank on fire. Yeah, sometimes they'll correlate, but not often. You see, that's the whole point. You're not going to get zero correlation. But at the same time, the whole name of the game is to get low correlations among securities so that even if they do go wild on their own, they don't do much uh, when they're put together. That's what beta, I kept harping and whining and farting about beta. Beta measures only the part of the risk that you can't get rid of. But that's still a lot. Microsoft, if I remember the numbers correctly, of the total volatility in returns of MSFT, 60% would go away if Microsoft was in a well-diversified portfolio. But on its own, it's a wild little beast. So that's the whole point of portfolio diversification. So that it does quiet uh, down in the presence of the other stocks in the portfolio. They cancel, at least to some extent, each other out. Now, if I have a chance, what I want to do right now is show you, if I was, didn't think I'd have enough time for this, but I think I will. 
Now, of course, I don't have any. Um, let me go over here. Let me just, no, I'm going to use Google on stock return correlation. coefficient. So there's one called Portfolio Visualizer, and I'll put in the scrolling marquee on my own, my own site. I'm going to find the Portfolio Visualizer, not Investor Stupidians, um, uh, Portfolio Visualizer. I don't see it. I may have to be a little bit more specific with Uh, let me do this. Let me put it in this way. Oh, come on. Is this it? Yeah, it is. Here it is. Portfolio visualizer. And I'll put this link in the scrolling marquee. And it's worth it for you if you decide that you want to start buying stocks, individual stocks, then it doesn't hurt to do this. I'll take Tesla, Kellogg, um, let's take um, Kroger, Pfizer, um, what else should I take? Thinking of other things that were, oh, Walmart, Facebook, and Google. I think Google. Which one? Okay. What am I missing? Facebook. What? Facebook. F. La da. Goo. Yes. I'll get it here. Damn it. There we go. Now you can leave the other ones alone. Here are the correlation coefficients. If you look, of course, this is one of those the diagonal, it's a mirror image on the diagonal. So if I looked at Tesla against itself, look at that. Against Kellogg, Tesla has almost no correlation. They would be really good in a portfolio together. Now I kind of favor about 0.3 to 0.35, nothing above that. So Kroger and Tesla would be great together. Tesla and Kroger would be good. I mean, actually, the only one that is of concern, surprise, surprise, is Tesla against Ford. That one's coming a little close to my discomfort level. The rest of these, Tesla against, <coughs> for example, Kroger, they have virtually no correlation. They would do really well killing it off each other's non-systematic risk. I'm going, Kelanova. What the hell is Kelanova? Oh, that's right. K 
Kellogg broke into two companies, Kellanova. Kellogg, you know, Tony Tiger should eat someone. Okay, okay, against Kroger. Kellogg against Kroger, that's not surprising. Food. So they're more highly correlated. But Kellanova against Pfizer, they're okay. Kellanova against the, all the other ones, Walmart, Ford, Google, they're fine. A little on the higher side, but they're still within a good range. Now, if you go Kroger, Kroger against Kellogg, uh, Kroger against Pfizer, that's a little, it's higher, but it's not bad. Now, that one is Kroger against Walmart. That is not surprising at all. They're in the same market. So whither goes the market for consumer goods, perishables and all that, so will go both of these companies. Now that's usually what happens. Sometimes you'll see one, you can't figure out why they're so highly correlated. But Kroger against Ford, Kroger against Google, they're all just fine together. Now Pfizer though, Pfizer against, well it's actually Pfizer is, would be decent in any portfolio. Walmart, yeah, the only one that you would want to avoid is Walmart and Kroger in the same portfolio. And then Ford, about the only one for Ford, Tesla is a little bit dodgy, but Ford against Google, what the hell is that? I can't, I don't see that one. Like I said, sometimes it just doesn't, you don't see where, why they're so connected. And then again, Alphabet, which is Google. And I mean, the only one that that's a problem with is Ford. But other than that, this is a nice little, again, not a hard tool. You just have, the, have it calculated for you by the portfolio visualizer. And you can lay out stocks and say which ones are good. Oftentimes what you'll look for is pivot stocks or key stocks, the ones that seem to be uncorrelated with just about everything. That, and then you can say, well, okay, let's start with that one. And now let's see what others are against that one that I'm looking at, okay? That would be, that's one way to do it. Or just get a little handful. If I want to start with some stocks, I'll just start with the ones that are, you know, two, three stocks that, have a, that aren't terribly expensive per share and just grab those to start it. That way, even though you're not getting a lot of portfolio diversification, what you're getting is a lot within the little portfolio of stocks that you're starting with. That's how we usually do it. Uh, it, it uh, just out of curiosity, I'm going to do something else here. I'm going to pull one more. mRNA Moderna against um, what would be a good war stock? Lockheed Martin. What's Lockheed Martin? LMH? LMT, I think that is. And then put in General Motors. And let me try Rivian. R-V-I-N. That would be an interesting play. Rivian, no, Rivian doesn't have enough stock. out. I haven't been around long enough to do this, the calculation. Um, um, 
SPY, the spider. Just curious about that. Moderna against Lockheed Martin, a vaccine company against a um, defense industry company, always a good idea. Moderna, I can't figure why are these vaccine stocks, do they behave like that against auto companies? Now, Spider, interestingly enough, notice that the Spider is a problem with any portfolio because the Spider has so many stocks in it. It's an index fund that it is going to be correlated with anything else you would try to own. If they're not going to help, you've already diversified completely by using the spider. Now I'm curious about one other thing. Watch this. QQQE. The one that I'm using. Hello Kitty. So in other words, the Standard Poor's 500 portfolio against a NASDAQ portfolio, you would never want to do that. They're, they're so correlated with each other that you take one or the other, but not both of them, because they don't help each other at all to lower systematic risk, or non-systematic risk. Anyway, we'll pick this up later in the next class. That's all I have for you. I thank you.